Today's featured organisation is Woodstock Birdcliff Guild, where I was lucky enough to perform recently in the beautiful Kleinhart James Art Centre. It offers an inspiring combination of residency, education, exhibition and performance programmes that encourages creative collaboration among artists, students, arts professionals and the public. Find out more about their summer exhibitions at woodstockguild.org. And this episode is dedicated to the memory of Doris Kelly, who recently passed after a year-long battle with cancer. Doris was active politically throughout her life and always strived to increase opportunities for young women. We hope to emulate Doris's spirit and give back a fraction of what she was able to give to the community here in New York 19. Welcome back to another episode of Spotlight 19. I'm Justin Tracy. My name is Saja. Great show coming up. We've had two weeks to put it together. We'll talk about rollbacks to consumer financial protection and addition to burdens to legal immigrants and their access to healthcare tax credits. Let's get started. First, there was a rollback to Dodd-Frank. The law put in place after the recession of 2008 to make sure it wouldn't happen again. I'm stunned that people seem to have forgotten the aftermath of the recession. I graduated from college during that time, and I know that jobs were in such short supply. Now, Republicans are calling their Dodd-Frank repeal the Financial Choice Act. The Financial Choice Act is a complex bill, but the part of it that I see that will be most likely to harm the 19th Congressional District is this rollback on consumer protection. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau was created to prevent against predatory mortgages, student loans, and credit card policies. How either of those things are in the best interest of New York 19 constituents or anywhere is beyond me, but doesn't surprise me given the credence given to corporations and big financial institutions these days. The Choice Act allows the president to fire the head of the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, at will. Allowing this president to fire or hire anyone seems to be a bit questionable at this point. And this bill also rolls back the ability of this bureau to collect consumer complaints. I saw that, as the millions of people, since this viral content creator called Now This created a video that has been shared millions of times. To me, what was unexpected was Representative Fazzo's interruption of Speaker Pelosi during debate on the Choice Act. But John Faso is new to the House. Perhaps he didn't know the rules. Well, it was pretty egregious given that the House rules of parliamentary procedure govern who has the floor in Congress. And Speaker Pelosi had the floor at the time that Representative Faso interrupted her. But John Faso was new to the House. Perhaps he didn't know the rules. Paul Ryan gives the explanation that President Trump is new to the job to explain some of the things that have been going on. So does the same apply here? Representative Fazzo served in the New York State Legislature for years, so I'd be really surprised if he doesn't know the rules. And in being an elected official, you should really learn the rules of the job and the chamber that you're representing to New York 19 you're qualified for. He was probably just interrupting her out of irritation that Speaker Pelosi and Governor Cuomo launched an initiative to unseat 
upstate Republican members of Congress. Yeah, but frustration manifesting itself as a violation of rules, coupled with the fact that we've seen women constantly being cut off, silenced, or demeaned lately, certainly wasn't a good look for Representative Fazzo, and he hasn't issued any explanation or apology to my knowledge as of the date of this podcast. To listeners out there being interrupted by male colleagues is something that happens to Saja regularly as a woman in her field. So his interruption hits home for us, as many of these bills and stories do. The other important bill Fazo voted on certainly hit home for us too, since it dealt with immigration. The Verify First Act will require verification by the government if an immigrant is receiving a health care insurance tax credit. So will it take longer for immigrants to get the tax credits they're entitled to? That's my understanding of the bill text, and Republicans are packaging this bill as a way to combat illegal immigration since you won't get the credit if you can't be verified as legally being in the country. To me, this bill just means illegal immigrants who are decent enough to actually file taxes don't end up getting tax credits for health care and might end up getting deported. Right. The Verify First Act seems to just be increasing the amount of bureaucracy that people have to go through. It will delay the receipt of tax credits and combating illegal immigration might be a problem, but this doesn't seem like the best way to go about doing it. This bill just seems like it will increase burdens for legal immigrants. And if its intent is to prohibit illegal immigrants from receiving benefits, there must be a better way than to burden a community that is really trying their best to be here and to become citizens. Another issue that's come up, and we've talked about calls to John Faso on the podcast before, uh, I have been calling regularly, and in the past few weeks, we've been calling upon Representative Fazo to speak out against Islamophobia in the wake of the attack in Oregon. And just as we're recording this, there was another attack on a young girl who was walking home from a mosque. And these Islamophobic attacks have certainly been perhaps more highly covered since of the rhetoric from the administration. So I personally have been calling John Fazo nearly daily just to speak out against Islamophobia. And Justin and I actually invited him to have iftar with us uh, this past Saturday. Okay, so there was another attack in the time that we were recording this. And the attack was in Finsbury Park in London, which is very near to where I grew up and I spent a lot of time there. And that's where my brother currently lives uh, Saja and I actually passed by this location of the attack after we got engaged in 2014. And to think that we were already planning to talk about this on the show and the senseless act of violence happened in a place that is quite literally home to me and family really shows how impactful this issue is to us, uh, as it should be to everyone. So I called every day last week and just asking the staffers if Representative Fazo could just respond to our invitation. I wasn't expecting him to be able to come, but I did think that perhaps he would respond and just politely decline because one of the things we had put in our invitation was that if John Fazo declined the invitation, we would donate 
his family's portion of the meal to a New York 19 charity of his choice. So not hearing back from him was a little bit disappointing. But one of the other things that came up is that I continued to ask the staffers how our messages are being passed on to Congressman Faso, and nobody seems to have a clear answer. One staffer told me that a program called Fireside 21 is used. Another day, I was told that a staffer is putting my note on a sticky pad. Another day, it was a, an index card. So there doesn't seem to be a uniform way to keep track of our concerns. And just this week in the Daily Freeman, John Pazzo wrote a letter referring to the callers to his office as paid protesters. We we had also been calling upon John Fazo to please just wish the Muslim community a happy Ramadan. I've been trying to figure this out in my head, why he won't do it, and part of me thinks that perhaps his party leadership is telling him not to. Another part is saying that maybe he's waiting till Eid, which is the end of Ramadan, which is coming up at the end of this week. So I and Justin here at Spotlight 19, we wish Muslims in the country and in New York 19 a happy Ramadan a special holiday and it's all about feeling how those less fortunate than yourself feel when they don't have food or water and that deprivation can lead you to walk a mile in those people's shoes so charity is another component of ramadan which is why we asked john Fazo if he's not going to join us for iftar and this isn't some sort of stunt uh, i just really wanted to see if he would at least respond to us because nothing else seems to be working and i do hope something works This is our Five Fast Fazo Facts section. Five Fast Fazo Facts. Fact number one. It's Pride Month now, and the second anniversary of the Supreme Court decision allowing same-sex marriage. Uh, yet John Fazo opposed same-sex marriage, and civil unions even introduced a bill during his time as a state legislator that defined, quote, family, unquote, meaning a traditional husband and wife. Number two, Fazo attended SUNY Brockport for college and was an, quote, average student, as described in the New York Times profile on him published during his run for governor in 2006. Yet he voted many times for hikes to public college tuition despite having gone to public college himself. Fact number three. Fazo did not gain admission to any law school when he first applied with a score of 537 out of 800 and was rejected from New York schools including St. John's and Fordham. Fact number four. After college, he became a grants officer for Nassau County in Washington, D.C., and worked to improve his LSAT score, eventually improving it enough to gain admission to Georgetown Law School. Fact number five. Faso attended law school at night, which is something I have great respect for. I met Saja when she was attending school at night, and I know how incredibly rigorous it can be. Stay with us for an interview with Lindell Arbano. Today we have with us Lindell Urbano, who is going to tell us a little bit more about how the Republican proposed health care plan will affect our district. So welcome to Lindell. Hi, thank you for having me here. 
And could you tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and what brings you here today? Sure. I am the Director of Public Policy and Government Relations at uh, an organization called Amedicare, which is the largest HIV special needs plan in New York State. It's a Medicaid plan that really seeks to serve people who are living with chronic conditions and people at high risk of acquiring HIV. So that includes people who are homeless and soon people who are transgender, regardless of their HIV status. One thing to note is that it is a not-for-profit that was put together by community-based organizations. Great. So tell us a little bit about how the Affordable Care Act impacted New York State. In reality, the Affordable Care Act has been overall a net positive for New York State. Prior to the Affordable Care Act, New York State did not have a private insurance plan, and uh, less people were enrolled in Medicaid. And so thanks to the Affordable Care Act, New York really has a thriving private insurance market. And in addition, more people were able to sign up for Medicaid. And under this proposed Republican health care reform to the health care system, as well as the president's budget proposals, how will they work together to impact the Medicaid expansion part of the Affordable Care Act? Okay, I'll start by saying that the proposals are fluid and the U.S. Senate is still working on their proposal. So what we have to go off of is the bill that passed the House. And also uh, we get some indications of where everything is going by looking at President Trump's budget proposal. And overall, the net impact of those two proposals is to, number one, reduce Medicaid and the number of people who are insured through Medicaid and also through the private market. And at the same time, President Trump's budget proposal would cut the social safety net, so cut programs like food assistance, housing assistance, and other essential programs that keep working people out of poverty. Specifically related to health care, the American Health Care Act, which is the bill that passed the U.S. House, would cut around $845 billion out of Medicaid. And overall, between Medicaid and also the private insurance plan, about 23 million people would lose health insurance. This is an estimate that was put together by what's called the Congressional Budget Office, which is a nonpartisan body that scores federal budget bills to see what the impact would be. So one of the things that John Faso and a lot of Republicans have been doing is kind of attacking the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office. John Faso himself said, you know, the CBO is not the holy grail. We shouldn't take their estimates seriously. What do you personally think about that? The reality is that the, what they put out is an estimate, right? But at the same time, it's a best case estimate based on history and also the proposal that's put forward. The fact that they're nonpartisan gives me reason to give them credibility. Does this mean that they'll always be right? No, right? But at the same time, it is the best estimate for how we can gauge future proposals. And if, let's say, the Republican health care plan is implemented in a way similar to what the House bill says, how will that impact our district specifically? Right. Some estimates say that some over 200,000 people in the 19th congressional district would lose health insurance. And as far as New York State, the New York State Department of Health estimates that it would cost 
Medicaid somewhere around over $4 billion, so close to $5 billion, actually. And then about 2.7 million people would lose access to health insurance in New York State from both Medicaid and also through losses from the private insurance market. And if that indeed happens, what are what what will we do if we have such a high rate of uninsured kind of going back to the days of pre-Affordable Care Act, if you know? The reality is I don't know because we live in New York State and even FASO has pointed out that New York State will do all it can to mitigate the impact. One of the things that will make that harder is the one of the amendments that Representative FASO and Representative Collins of New York put into the American Health Care Act. And if that were the same place, what it does basically, it's, it limits the state's ability to collect money from counties outside of New York City. The interesting thing is that that proposal only impacts New York State. No other state is affected by this. And it would add to the losses under Medicaid and limit the state's ability to recoup that money and pay for whatever shortfall in Medicaid there is. To explain a little bit more about what that means, it's sort of ambiguous because the reality is that Representative Faso has pointed out that counties in New York State pay a lot of money to the state to sustain Medicaid. And so his argument is that limiting the state's ability to recoup money from the counties to pay for Medicaid would actually result in lower property taxes. The reality, however, is that at the end of the day, if the state needs to pay for our services, it needs to go to its taxpayers. So we don't know what the impact would be or how the state would, would figure out ways to get back, get recoup that money. It might mean ultimately higher income taxes. It might mean some other innovative way of getting the money back from the same taxpayers. So the net impact of this, yes, some people might see a lower property tax bill, but at the end of the day, they might end up pay that money in other ways. Right. Some of the uh, estimates I saw of the property tax savings are somewhere around 300 or $400. Is that worth it for you know many millions of people to lose their health insurance? I'm not personally sure uh, I would consider that a fair trade-off. And you know the, the amendment that you've just been discussing has been sometimes referred to as the Tammany Hall, which goes back to the political machine in New York State that was kind of infamous for making deals and cutting deals that might benefit our state. So it sounds good that, you know, he's looking out for our state, but by passing this bill, it has impacts across the country. And I just wanted to add one thing. Sure. The other piece to this is that, yes, even if there are property tax savings, another critical thing that the bill does is that if people were to lose health insurance because of this, New York State actually uh, is one of the states that expanded Medicaid. So more people had access to Medicaid because of the uh, Affordable Care Act. If those people were to lose that expanded access, which could very well happen under the American Health Care Act, then those people would need to purchase health insurance on their own without the same level of assistance from the federal government. So at the end of the day, people might save, as you were saying, like 300 even if they save $400 a year on property taxes, health insurance costs 
thousands of dollars. And so without assistance from other states, you have more people without health insurance. And what that does is it pushes more of a burden on to hospitals and other healthcare providers to really treat people at later stages when they're no longer healthy. Like So instead of somebody going to the doctor for a preventative visit, they wait until they get sick and go to the emergency room. At the end of the day, emergency room treatment is the most expensive option that you have. And so the cost of care will ultimately go up, and everybody would, would see the impact of rising premiums over time. And that's something we just don't hear about because I think the level of political discourse, it's so far gone that people are just fighting about whose fault is Obamacare and pointing fingers. And we don't really think about the real effects that this will have on people. And that's why I'm so happy you're here to kind of distill it. It's very complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you hear that, you know, Obamacare was failing, premiums were rising, which sometimes is true. But this bill doesn't seem like it's the answer to me. And without having John Faso accessible to his constituents, he's had very limited public accessibility since he voted on the bill. He's done, I think, only two radio call-in shows. There's been no town halls. So it's, it's hard to know other than, you know, what we get in his formal press releases and his answers, what his thinking really was. And that kind of leads us to the conclusion that he was influenced by his party leadership and maybe not so much thinking about the impacts that it might have on New York 19. My feeling about this is that we need to do all we can to educate our uh, leaders and the people who are representing us in Congress. But, and this is my personal opinion, is that our representative in Congress were really elected to represent us. And in being here and speaking about this, the idea is really to provide education about the fact that this bill would impact constituents right here in the 19th Congressional District. And no one would disagree that the Affordable Care Act needs to be fixed. It doesn't work perfectly for everybody. But you don't fix a bill by making it worse. You don't fix uh, health care by taking away health care from people and taking away the guarantee of coverage that a lot of people have. New York has taken steps to make sure that people with pre-existing conditions, for example, things like pregnancy or HIV, to make sure they're covered and not charged more because simply because they were pregnant or had asthma or had diabetes or were sick in some way. But in other states, this bill would really take people's health coverage away and make it prohibitively expensive for them to get health insurance. And so as a country and as residents and constituents in New York 19, we need to look out for ourselves and for the thousands of people here in the 19th Congressional District who depend on Medicaid and the health care that they get through the Affordable Care Act, which isn't perfect, but at the same time, they have access to preventative care. And to take that away really makes our district less healthy. It is incredibly important to me to see that people who are low income or people who are working and can't make enough to afford health insurance, because those are really the people who get access to Medicaid, retain access to health care as they know it. And um, that's the main reason why I'm interested in, in this, the proposals to change uh, health care. I think uh, what you're doing here is really important because it, it's about educating 
all the candidates, regardless of their political affiliation, about why it's important that they pay attention to efforts to reform healthcare. And at the end of the day, what we'd like to see is um, uh, improvement in the healthcare delivery system and the fact that people should have improved access to quality healthcare and not decreased access. Mm-hmm. People around here are already struggling to make ends meet. Like people work full time and don't make enough to get health insurance. And when they do get health insurance, it's not enough really to make them feel comfortable. And so if we are going to change the healthcare system, we should make it stronger. So how did you actually find out about our show Spotlight 19? Well, I was... (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of silly, but it's it's good for our listeners to know that, you know, we didn't just... I didn't know you from before, and I don't have any connection with Amita. Amita Care, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I like interacting with my neighbors. I like uh, getting to know the people who are around me. And so uh, I tend to take the bus from uh, Kingston, uptown Kingston to New York City almost every day for work. And um, one of the people I take the bus with, uh, she had a house party uh, on a weekend, and we were, and I was invited over, and uh, I met Saja, and we started uh, talking about Amer- the American Healthcare Act and the Affordable Healthcare Act, and that's basically how I learned about the podcast. And then I went in and I listened to it, and I, I think that what you're doing here is really important. <laughs> Thanks. We really appreciate people who listen to the podcast because, as you can see, it's we're just in our living room and it's time-consuming. And But it's, we feel really strongly that this is probably the best way we can contribute to uh, the community. And if uh, anyone wants to find out more about Amida or some of the things that you've talked about, where can they get that information? Uh, they can go to the AmitaCare website, AmitaCareNY.org. Um, sure. And as always, Spotlight 19 includes the links to our guests in the description of the podcast or on uh, social media. So that's where to find it. Um, one of these days, we will have a website <laughs> once once we get around to that. But thank you again, Lindell. It was great having you on. Yeah, it was great to be here. And I look forward to coming back to answer any questions or contribute whatever I can to this good effort. So. Thank you so much. And that just about wraps up our show today. Thank you so much for listening. Please reach out to us with comments. We're on Facebook and Twitter. We'll continue to track and discuss the votes of Congressman John Faso and how they affect District 19. In the meantime, be well, keep the faith, and we'll be back soon. Peace of mind That's what you'll find Come up to the house.